Good afternoon. This is Cedric McCoy, nurse practitioner and the associate director of the Comprehensive Stroke Program at University of Chicago Medicine and your host for the U Chicago Medicine's Community Health Focus Hour. Call in with your questions or just if you have comments. But however, I ask that you please try to limit them to 30 to 45 seconds because we have so much to talk about today. I mean, more than I normally have to talk about today. And there's a lot of craziness going on in the world right now. So we, we got to answer some questions out there about what's going on with this virus as well. So the number to call in is the WVON listener call-in line. That number is 312-374-8130. Let me give, give that to you one more time, 312-374-8130. So today's show is what some might call a twofer, okay? Originally, we planned an awesome discussion on alternative self-healing therapies because we know how stressed our community is. Mm -hmm. And then very recently we got a suggestion that we add a special segment on the coronavirus. So today we're doing a two topic show. First, we're going to provide you some tools to self-manage your stress. And then in part two of the segment of the show, Dr. Dan Johnson from the University of Chicago is going to join us, and he will further educate us about the coronavirus and to reinforce some actions that we can take in the wake of this pandemic. Essentially, you will receive some holistic healing tools and then hopefully make time for yourself to use these tools as we cope with this stressful time. All right. So let's start with segment part one. So the saying, too blessed to be stressed, is often used as a way to indicate that people of faith couldn't possibly be stressed. Today's world is complex, and it's often very difficult to manage stress, depression, and just overall trauma related to mental health concerns. There are medical solutions, and there are holistic alternative solutions that physicians, practitioners, and ordinary people are using as part of their arsenal of self-care tools. So part one, we're going to dive into that arsenal and explore the many alternative self-care healing therapies that exist for you, our listeners. So let's start the show. Let me introduce our guests. As usual, we have put together a panel of an amazing guest here in the studio, as well as on the listener hotline to spread their knowledge. So without further ado, first up is Dr. Sandy Toon, Assistant Professor, Geriatrics and Palliative Medicine. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Cedric. I'm so honored and excited to be here. Tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, so I'm a palliative medicine doctor, and oftentimes when I'm meeting patients and families for the first time, they get very nervous, and they ask me, are you a hospice doctor? And I just wanted to bring up that I'm trained in both palliative medicine and hospice, and part of what palliative medicine does is that it's a medical specialty that focuses on symptoms and quality of life for people who have serious illnesses like cancer, advanced heart failure, COPD, that sort of thing. All right, right on. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Next up, we have... Arthi Tajuja, all right, co-founder of Joyful Joyful Ground. Welcome to the show. Tell us a little about yourself. Thank you, Cedric. I'm so happy to be here today. My name is Arthi, and I have an organization called Joyful Ground. We work with a lot of businesses here in Chicago, but I have worked with all different types of populations. So everything from young people to elderly to everything in between, all ages, all groups, you name it. So I was part of the Shambhala Meditation Center for a long time, which is where I got most of my training. I have taught at the Zen Center, and I teach at Haji Healing Salon now on the south side. Right um, on. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing the show. Thank you. I'm looking forward to hearing more and more about that. Mm-hmm. Next up is, on the line is Jasmika Cook, co-founder and clinician, the Branch Family Institute, and Reiki practitioner. Jasmika, you there? Hi, yes, I'm here. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for coming in. I heard you a little under the weather, so I'm glad you decided to give us a quick call. 
Oh, I think that's my sister, Aya Cook, not my oh, first sister. See, but see, y'all with the same last names, y'all got me. <laughs> Jasmika, tell us about yourself. Hi, I'm uh, Jasmika Cook, again, co-founder and uh, one of the clinicians at the Branch Family Institute. I'm a Reiki master. My traditional training or uh, is in psychology, but I also work to combine alternative healing methods and mindfulness uh, to support clients as they work through whatever life is bringing. And so we're excited that we're able to do this work in a more holistic way and bring, you know, more options for the clients that we see. All right. Well, thank you so much. Last but not least, Aya Cook, founder of wellness curator Haji Healing Salon Yoga and Meditation. Now you're the cook that I hope is feeling better. Welcome to the show. You there with us, Aya? Great day, Cedric, and everyone. Hello. Thank you. Yes, I'm here. All right. Tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, so I had planned to be in the studio with you guys today, but yeah, I'm not feeling my best, and I thought it was most responsible to just call into the show today, just in case, you know, taking all the precautions. Hey, we appreciate um, it. Yeah, but my full name is Aya Nicole Cook. I'm a yoga teacher who opened a social wellness enterprise called Haji Healing Salon about two years ago. And at Haji, we are focused on providing yoga, meditation, community-style acupuncture, Reiki energy healing, and a variety of other alternative wellness services that center and prioritize black and brown people on the south side of Chicago. Right on. All right. And last but not least, we have in segment three, I'll introduce him a little bit later, but that'll be Dr. Dan Johnson, professor of pediatrics, chief section of academic pediatrics and interim chief at the University of Chicago Medicine. And we'll hear from uh, Dr. Johnson a little bit later on. So ladies, let's dive in. All right. So is it fair to say that although you all come from different disciplines, we have a medical doctor, we have clinicians, et cetera, that each of you believes that there is something more than just scientific tools, that the mind and body connection is something important that we often, it often gets overlooked. Let's start with you. Yeah, absolutely. I first came to doing mindfulness meditation because I spent my teens and 20s really depressed. Mm. and uh, really was never able to figure out why until I actually got into doing mindfulness mm. meditation and really started noticing what was actually happening. You know, really started mm-hmm. noticing what is happening in my mind mm-hmm. when I feel this way, right? It's like when you become depressed, your whole body is just suspended almost. Mm-hmm. At least my body used to be very suspended. I, I couldn't get out of bed. And so I started I started becoming trained in starting to notice, like, what is actually happening in my mind? And then I started noticing this angry sort of uh, person inside of, like, get up, get out of bed. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to get up. And that wasn't helping, mm-hmm. right? And it, it really wasn't until I started noticing what was happening inside mm-hmm. of my mind where I started, you know, once I kind of came to that and started kind of quelling that voice mm-hmm. and started just being with and just just being with the kind of feeling that Mm -hmm. I was actually having, then I was actually able to get out of it. So it's like, it's, we really want to push it away. Our tendency is to push it away. Mm -hmm. And what we are saying with mindfulness is that we are going to be with, Mm -hmm. we're going to be with our full Mm -hmm. selves. All right. So, so let me go around, let's go around this, uh, our our table this way, because that's a good thing. One of the things I want to take a quick step backwards is, is we talk about it getting ignored Mm -hmm. and, uh, well, we'll dive into a little bit of Reiki a little bit later on, because I'll admit that about a couple of months ago, one of my really good friends was saying, hey, said, you got to try this. Mm-hmm. And it's changed his life. 
his Reiki therapist has not only tapped into his, to his emotional side of his life, but also the energy side of his life. So I did it also. So I'm going to kind of go into that. But it's one of those things that when he even brought it up to me and I started doing a little bit of research about it, I was like, seriously, this can't work. Like, come on. You know? And so let, let me ask you, Aya, when we think about these types of different types of therapies, whether it's uh, people that meditate or people that do yoga, the mind-body connection, what do we say to the people when we're like, you know what, that's great now, but I want to go see a doctor. I want to, I want, I want to get a medication. I, you should need to run some tests on me. Like what you're going to offer me, it can't really cure my ailment or really help me. What are we saying to those people? Mm. I'm saying that um, I basically tell people that they know best what they need. And if they feel that they're going to be most comfortable sitting with a doctor in a hospital or in a, in a physician's office, they should absolutely do that. However, the path that, is available to them through Haji Healing Salon with these alternative wellness services is about one of self-inquiry. And so if there are people who want to know more about, you know, their mind-body constitution through and through basically self-study, which is what all of these healing modalities offer is, you know, a, a path inward. And I think that's a really important thing. I mean, you know, yeah, go to the doctor, but also study yourself mm-hmm. and learn your patterns and learn, you know, what makes you the way you are and what your triggers are. When, we, when we're talking about emotional health, sometimes it's important for us to know the different ways that we're triggered in life, you know. So mm-hmm. just like I would never steer anyone away from therapy mm-hmm. in lieu of coming for a Reiki, a Reiki treatment, for instance, I would never steer anyone away from going to the doctor. I say mm-hmm. do both and, mm-hmm. you know. Gotcha. And what got you started in this? So depression and anxiety brought me to yoga, similar to my sister, Arthi. And, you know, anxiety is something that I actually still struggle with. But I say that I guess it'd be appropriate to say I don't struggle with it as much because now I have so many tools at my disposal. And because I've been studying myself, I do know the triggers and I'm able to sit with myself to do a yoga practice to sort of calm myself. Like right before this call, I was pretty nervous and also, you know, not feeling well with all the information that's floating around about coronavirus that was sort of feeding my anxiety. So I went online and did a restorative yoga practice with one of the teachers Mm -hmm. from Haji Healing Salon. And that's how I spent the hour leading up to this call. So, um, yeah, so basically I've been addressing my anxiety through a consistent yoga practice. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the ways that we can liberate ourselves because yoga is also mindfulness. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Jasmika, what got you into this? Like, what, when did you begin to believe in mind-body connection? So, I want to acknowledge uh, the beautiful stories, and I think mm-hmm. there are some similarities. I've always had this awareness of the impact that our state of being has on our body and our overall health, mm-hmm. really, for as long as I can remember. Um, it's really why I think I was drawn into the profession of, you know, helping people with their mental and emotional health. However, it became real for me when I was a young woman in my early 30s, working a pretty stressful, high-demand career. I was still working with my partners, and we had just started the Branch Family Institute, and we were, you know, in the beginning phases. And I was also raising a family. And, and essentially, to be honest, I was a workaholic, and I tunneled a lot of my own anxieties into work and wanting to uh, really make a contribution And I was completely stressed out and disconnected from my body. I had a medical emergency, and it seemed like, to me, it was out of the blue. But my doctor was really dumbfounded and 
couldn't understand how I hadn't recognized any of the physical symptoms. And that stuck with me through my physical healing. I really wanted to ask myself, like, how did I not notice what was going on with my body? And I knew that I really was disconnected. Um, And when it was time for me to return to work, I, too, started to experience panic attacks. And even with all of my training and all of my, you know, clinical preparation, it was hard for me to sort of recognize it and see it in myself. So I went to see a therapist, and I worked with the therapist for quite a while, but I chose to opt out of the pharmaceutical route. And I started in that time in my life really studying and and learning and researching, and I started a very committed meditation practice, and that was 12 years ago. And since then, you know, I've dedicated my life to the study and understanding of how we healed ourselves before modern medicine. So to Mm -hmm. to Aya's point, you know, it's important to see your doctor and get your checkups Mm -hmm. and all of that regularly, but just as important is the process of going in and understanding how you show up in your world and how you can go within. And there are so many tools to help all of us uh, to live, you know, as, as best we can. So very similar stories, I imagine. One of the things that just came out, you guys, that just mm-hmm. grabbed, just grabbed me, and it, it, it kind of hits home for myself as well, because I was, I'm thinking when I first went to my, to my therapist, ended up going to do some Reiki, and she, before we even dove into Reiki, she's like, I want to know about you. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, I'm sitting here crying, and like, we're having like this deep conversation, <laughs> and getting all these emotions out. And one of the things that I'm hearing from the first three people that have mentioned is that you guys are human, mm-hmm. you know, that you also feel. You guys mm-hmm. have experienced things in your life, and I think that's one of the things I want the listeners to really pay attention to there is that... Mm-hmm. The some of the same things that you are going through in your day to day activities, mm-hmm. the the depression, you know, the anxiety, mm-hmm. these therapists are going through the same things in life, mm-hmm. and they're using these these measures to help overcome their you know these their their anxiety and their depression and constantly dealing with it. And I think that is fantastic, and I commend you for your bravery of speaking up and saying those things. So, Doctor Toon, mm-hmm. Pally, what got you there? What got you into this arena? So thinking about my journey through mindfulness and meditation and thinking about the whole mind-body connection, for me, what I would say is early on in my life, so my family is Burmese. We immigrated when I was very young, and so we're Buddhist as well. And so early on in my life, I remember that my mom and her father, my grandfather, both were you know, very passionate about meditation and about Buddhist principles as well. And so early on in my life, I was aware of it. I would say it wasn't until later on, though, when I went to college and I started exploring on my own, when I would go to things like yoga classes, for instance, and I would be doing more of these like mindfulness-based kind of practices where we would, you know, really be aware and be present with our bodies and really just be quiet for that moment. I think it was really eye-opening to see that this is something that's incredibly powerful. And, you know, earlier before the show, you know, Cedric, you and I, we were talking about, you know, within medicine, thinking about going to medical school and thinking about going to any sort of training. There's a lot of science that you get through as well. And there have been some people who have asked, you know, for someone who's really been marinated in all this science, you know, doesn't it actually make it harder to think about all these other alternative therapies? And I would say no. So I 
I just wanted to name out loud as well that I really appreciate all of the vulnerability and the incredible, you know, gift that you all, um, ladies, thank you so much. I'm, I'm just so excited to be a part of this panel and all of your vulnerability and this, you know, thoughtful sharing that you have all done about your own journeys. And I would say that, you know, earlier, I think um, one of the other speakers brought up that, you know, it's not an either or. And I completely agree with that. I think it's very much an and situation where people can go to their physician, they can go to their therapist as well, and they can also think about, you know, additional treatments and it can come in many different forms. And I think earlier, either it was Jasmika or Aya who talked about the fact that we are each experts in our own bodies and we're each experts in our own journeys. And I would say that it's a very beautiful thing when you're able to say, you know, these are things that I think can be helpful for me. And going back to all of the science um, that we've been marinated in and, you know, nursing school and also in, in medical school as well, Cedric, I would say that as I've gone through all of my education, I think I've only been strengthened in my belief that there is that mind-body connection. Because even now, and um, thank you, I think it was um, Jasmika when you were talking about that that nervousness coming into this. Like I also, you know, yeah. coming into this experience, like my heart was racing as I'm thinking about that kind of nervousness of like that performance aspect. So there's absolutely that interconnectedness between your thoughts and, and your heart rate and your, your body. Yeah, I had the same experience in the car. I, actually, on my way here, here, uh, before I left, I told my husband, mm -hmm. Matt, I said, I'm really nervous. I can't really even eat right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm in the car and I'm just like, okay, I'm going to feel the steering yeah. wheel. I'm going to just yeah. take a breath, you know, and just be in my mm -hmm. body. And yeah. So. And, and I would say, this mm -hmm. is Jasmika, and I would say, you know, that was Aya that mentioned that earlier, her, her nervousness. But I think it's important for those of us who are doing this work and those of us who mm -hmm. are listening to recognize that even those who, of us who do this work mm -hmm. every day, we acknowledge our own nervousness. Mm -hmm. We acknowledge what shows up in our bodies and mm -hmm. our minds and our hearts. And then we work through it and in it. Um, we don't suppress it. We don't push it down. Mm -hmm. So it's not that any of the tools that we work with make us exempt from all of the um, mm -hmm. emotional, the emotions right. and everything that's on the emotional scale. Mm -hmm. We just, you know, are very aware and we attempt, we do the work of working with the feeling. So, yeah, because the nervousness comes, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it does, without a doubt. It's, it's, it's interesting. I've been doing this for now two years and I still get some butterflies too <laughs> before yeah. Titus tells us it's time to go. And, and essentially, there's so, I could ask a million questions here that I'm, I'm going off a script. I'm going off script because... Mm -hmm. Things just come to my mind as mm -hmm. we're doing this. And one of the things that I think that um, one of the things that my therapist has said to me with Reiki, like as we're dealing with anything, and it was probably where the biggest shock to me is she turned to me and she's like, Cedric, okay, where do you feel that emotion? Mm. Yeah. That's so powerful. Yeah. yeah and I'm is. like, what do you mean? Where do I feel it? Mm -hmm. Aren't I just thinking about it? She's like, no, I want to know where in your body. And like, surprisingly, I'm like the right side of my chest. <laughs> you know, that's, that's where I feel like this angst, this tension right yeah. now, you know, and it was not over my heart. It was just a different part of my body that yeah. she was like, all right, now let's dive into that. Yeah. So again, I'm a 44 year old nurse practitioner, but I, what I want to believe is that I'm seeing that this, this is real, like, right. And I'm believing in it. And I feel that it can be for everybody. So mm -hmm. I'm going to go to, um, to you, Aya first, and then I'll go to Arthi. If I walked into where your places of work are, what are the populations that you work with? I know, Arthur, you had mentioned to me that you've done with some hospitals, I mean, some businesses, some jobs, things like that. So between both of you guys, what does the environment look like? Is it old people, young people, uh, people in wheelchairs? Like, what, 
Who do you uh, serve? Yeah, so thank you for the question. And I just really quickly wanted to say also that I'm really grateful for my anxiety because it's the exact thing that has kept me practicing yoga every day. And I think that it really keeps me, it helps me to be more related to the people in my community who also deal with the same thing, right? So I really appreciate all the points that were made and just wanted to circle back and say that because, you know, if I were this this kind of perfect human being, I'm not sure that I would need these practices or that I would stay as committed to them. So at Haji Healing Salon, it's a really unique experience. We're located at 746 East 79th Street. So that's right near Cottage Grove. We're just half a block west of Cottage on 79th. And if you're anyone, if the listeners are familiar with that area, it's um, the energy there is very frenetic, right? There's just a lot going on all the time. And so when you walk into the salon, Um, I consistently see people just take a deep breath. They just exhale. You know, they love the contrast between the street and the salon environment, which is very serene, very tranquil. And it smells amazing because I'm always diffusing essential oils in the space. And we have a very wide demographic, actually. One of our salon assistants is a 16-year-old girl who practices yoga consistently and just started a meditation group at her high school. And I'm really excited to have oh, her on awesome. the team. Awesome. Yeah. And then I would think, I think our oldest client is 85 years old and he comes wow. to two of our yoga classes weekly. So, you know, the, the, the variety of programs that we offer attract people at all different ages. We have more, um, older people that come for acupuncture on Sundays. We have more, you know, sort of younger people that come for yoga, but I think we have a, a really broad range of people everywhere from 16 to, like I said, about 85 years old. And we do our best to create programming that welcomes everyone at the, you know, on the spectrum of age, on the spectrum of ability. And we even have a restorative yoga class that happens on Mondays and Saturdays. And both of those classes are wheelchair accessible. Mm-hmm. So you can be in a wheelchair and come to that practice. Oh, that is so, fantastic. yeah, we do our best to take care of everyone who wants to be there. All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Arthi? Yeah. Well, I met Haji actually yeah. once, uh, <laughs> once a month, first Sunday of every month. And then I have an organization with Sojourner Wright, a friend who works with me, and it's joyfulground.com. And so what, one of the things we're doing, so we work in a lot of businesses, but we've, we work with so many different populations because each of us has other things we're doing too besides Joyful Ground. Mm-hmm. But with Joyful Ground, we have something called, we're really encouraging people to take the day off of work on March 24th. And it was supposed to be an in-person retreat. And it was really encouraging. You know, like we're always kind of saying we should do this and we should do that. And we're always kind of working ourselves to death. And so this retreat is really about like letting that go, letting all the shoulds go and making it about us Mm. and just giving ourselves a whole day, you know, to really just recuperate and rest. Mm-hmm. And now I think we're going to move that online, given Corona. Yeah, yeah. We're going to encourage people to really, like, what are you going to do at home, you know? Can we take an entire day and work with these practices mm-hmm. and really be in our bodies and become comfortable with who we are and explore that, you know, all the stuff that's coming up, that those fears and those anxieties yeah. and all that stuff that's coming up in the midst of this virus, mm-hmm. you know? All right, so I'm going to... Shift to Dr. Toon real quick, mm-hmm. and because you guys, there, there's a word out there that y'all are using a lot, and you guys keep saying mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And so I want to get to that in a second because I want a definition for that, yeah. and yeah. I want to talk about a couple of those tools that we can use. But Dr. Toon, you deal mm-hmm. with a patient population that is pretty sick, mm-hmm. and families that are dealing with some really emotional stuff mm-hmm. with your palliative care. Yeah. So how do you incorporate these alternative methods of healing into your practice? 
So to start off with, I think one of the things that's most helpful is to just name things and to name what's going on. And often bringing that subtext to the forefront, part of it is talking about the trauma and the stress that's related to it. So you can imagine patients and families as they're going through something as traumatizing and as scary as a cancer diagnosis and a cancer treatment course. And you can also think about the stress actually that most of us are feeling right now, thinking about the coronavirus and thinking about mm-hmm. you know the uncertainty that we might feel from that standpoint. To start off with, I'll just say that one thing I start off with is to explain to folks what's going on and what they may be experiencing and try to provide some context. Because oftentimes people will feel a little ashamed with what they're going through. They'll say, you know, I'm feeling nervous or I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling down and I'm not quite sure what's going on in my body. And they'll start noticing other symptoms as well. And this is that mind-body connection where they'll say things like, oh, you know, when you brought up earlier, Cedric, I feel that kind of like butterflies in my gut. That's actually a very common thing people will talk about just in life. And that's actually a very key example of that mind-body connection, where oftentimes people will say, I have that gut feeling, you Mm -hmm. know? And oftentimes that becomes an inroad, I think, for a lot of people to understand that how I feel and my thoughts and my attitudes actually have a big impact on how my body operates as well. So often I'll start with that. And then as far as your question is, your question, Cedric, about how do I incorporate these different therapies, I We'll bring up that there are many different ways to go about, you know, stress relief and also to think about anxiety as well. And oftentimes people will ask me themselves, you know, would acupuncture help or would yoga or would Reiki? And what I often bring up is that it can be helpful for people. And I think this is where, you know, when other the, one of the other speakers said earlier, you're really the expert on your body. I say this is a really powerful part of that, you know, because I'm not the type of doctor that will prescribe, like, I need you to do this practice, you know, you need to do yoga or you need to do Reiki. What I'll say is, you know, I'm going to talk with you about some options, for example, to deal with your anxiety. And in addition to, we can talk about therapy, we can talk about medications potentially as well, but these are additional things you can think about. When I bring up these options, I'll ask them, what resonates with you? Because everybody's a little bit different. And so that's often how I'll I'll couch it. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'll throw this one to Arthi. Mindfulness. (laughs) Describe to our listeners what you guys are talking about when you're saying mindfulness. Okay. So instead of just describing it, I'm just going to illustrate it. We're going to do a little exercise. Sounds good to me. Very quick. Okay. I've got a gong here. Okay. And I'm going to ring it. And what I want you all to do is just listen to it. Okay. Okay. Okay, so where did your mind go? Uh, water. Mm. Ah. Like I, I, my mind went to like ripples in a mm. in like a lake. Okay, is where my mind went. Where did your mind go? So actually, I th- I thought of kind of like an open space. You thought about you know, a mountain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, we're all listening for this mm-hmm. particular sound, right? Mm-hmm. And so we all have this ability to just hone in on that particular sound. Yeah. Right. And our minds are not like a million miles away. They're just on this sound, right? And so 
we all have this innate ability to be mindful. That's what we're calling mindfulness. It's just being with something. So it could be being with a sound. It could be, if I said right now, feel the bottoms of your feet as they're touching the ground. Our minds could just go there, right? We could yeah. just shift into that. And so when we're talking about mindfulness, we're talking about our mind just moves to a particular object in space, right? So we, we all have this ability. So I want to say that mindfulness is kind of this innate ability at, that we as humans already have. So we're not trying to bring something in from the outside. We're trying to cultivate that. So it's like when you're going out for a walk mm -hmm. and you'll go from place A to place B. All of a sudden, have you ever been had that experience where you don't know how you even got to place B? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or yeah. in a car, yeah. you know, yeah. you got to the end, the yeah. end of the, you know, where your destination was and you're like, how did I get here? Yeah. Where did your mind go? Right. Mm -hmm. So what we're talking about is just bringing our minds to the present moment. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is moving. It's not just, you know, the present moment. It's not still, but coming back to the now, coming back to the here. And mm -hmm. we can do that. We can, we can be in our car and we can feel the steering wheel mm -hmm. in our hands. Right. We can notice the sights. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's just being with mm -hmm. is what we're calling mindfulness. And when we're talking about mindfulness meditation, we're talking about cultivating that ability, cultivating that sense that we can come back to the present moment. Thanks for that fantastic demonstration, Arthi. That was that was really beautiful. One of the things that's brought to mind, actually, is there is um, a saying that, you know, the people that are very fixated on the future have anxiety and people who are fixated on the past have depression. And I think bringing it back to this sense of a vulnerability, I think we all are susceptible. I know I'm susceptible to it as well, you know, with the different trials and tribulations of, of day to day and the stresses of work and, and family and life. I think that, you know, mindfulness is bringing you to the present. So it's not fixating on the future. It's not fixating on the past, but bringing yourself back to the here and now. And I think that earlier before the, the show, Arthi and I were actually just chatting and we actually were talking about the fact that I, I love that example about going on autopilot when you're driving to work because I, I use that often when I'm talking to folks about mindfulness as well. And one of the things I you brought up, Arthi, earlier that I, that I really loved when we were chatting was this kind of sleepwalking that I think we can all be guilty of in our day-to-day -day life. And, you know, people will say things like, oh, my goodness, like I've woken up one morning and now I'm however many years old. And it feels like in the blink of an eye, I've gone from, you know, my childhood to my young adulthood and, and from and beyond, really. So, again, like mindfulness, I would say, Cedric, in many ways is bringing ourselves to the present, being really aware and just being here in the here and now. All right. All right, you guys, check this out. So it's interesting. I was saying earlier to my guests, we're going to have to run two of these shows. Oh. We're going to have to do this again, you guys, because we haven't even, we haven't yeah. even started <laughs> on part two. Jasmika, I want to dive into Reiki. I, we don't have the time to dive into it right now, but I really want to, I really want to do it. So I want y'all to put on your radars, because right now I'm not sure what we're doing for next month's show, but this is what I kind of want to continue to do for next month's show. So if y'all are able to come back, because there's a lot, I want to talk about meditation. So before we do that, let me do two things, and then I'm going to bring in Dr. Dan Johnson. So let me do this really quickly so I can, before I end this segment, before we dive into talking about the coronavirus, Aya, we throw the term meditate around like it's easy, and it's just breathing in and breathing out. What is meditation and how do people get there? One minute, give me a good solid answer on that one. The answer to the question, essentially, it's just being with yourself. And the goal is to bypass judging 
And so, you know, I tell people over and over again, even like um, every one of my yoga classes starts with a very brief meditation and ends with meditation. And the cue is observe the truth of the body in this moment. What is true about you right now? And then can we practice non-reacting, you know, like not reacting to what it is that we see and feel, but just observing. So for me, that it has a lot to do with that. That's deep. And uh, Jasmika, give our listeners just a a quick snippet on Reiki. When we do this again, I want to really dive into it. But what is Reiki therapy? Reiki is essentially an energy healing technique that allows us to access pure source energy and engage with the life force of the, the person that we're working with. So this idea that we all have a life force that is flowing through us, that which allows our hearts to beat, our lungs to breathe, our blood to flow without us having to intellectually tell it to do so. And Reiki allows us to engage pure energy into that life force energy for the purpose of healing, relaxation, stress relief, and a host of other things. I'm super excited that we can maybe talk about it some more. All right, we will. We will definitely for sure. Thanks to Dr. Toon, Jasmika, Aya, and Arthi for their wonderful tools. I want to run this show back because there's so much we have to talk about, you guys. So we'll think about that for next month. Please, ladies, that's my invitation I'm giving to you right there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) All right, let me introduce our next guest, Dr. Daniel C. Johnson, Professor of Pediatrics, Interim Chief. In this final segment, he's going to give us some actions we can take to help us deal with the coronavirus. We're focused on what is actionable, and we know there's a lot lot that we are going to learn in the upcoming days, and not only days, just weeks. You know, this is growing fast. So welcome to the show, Dr. Johnson. How are you doing today, sir? Great. How are you all? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Good to hear, get, hear from you. And I want to thank you for taking the time out with us. Uh, I know things are hectic for you at the hospital right now. And thank you for taking the time out to uh, reach out to our listeners here at WVON. So let me start the first question for you. So what do we know about the coronavirus? Like, where did it come from? How is it spreading? And how did it spread so fast? Well, thanks for asking that question. Uh, It's uh, remarkable how much we know already. Uh, We really know a lot. We just need to know more. And, you know, what do we know? Well, it's... It's a bat virus. In fact, coronaviruses in general are bat viruses, but they have the ability to be able to infect other mammals, which is what we are. And so they were able to jump over to us and make that spread. And it's a respiratory virus, which means then that it spreads through droplet, uh, which means sneezing or coughing and the particles that we spread into the air, uh, and through contact, which means then that If you touch somebody and you have the virus on your hand, you can spread it to their hand. And then if they go up to their eyes, nose, or mouth, then that creates a place where the virus can enter the body. And if you touch a surface, well, there are certain surfaces where the virus can live uh, for some period of time. We don't know exactly how long, but in some lab settings, it, it can be as long as a few hours. And then if we go again to our eyes, nose, or mouth, then the virus can get into our bodies. Uh, we know that about 80% of people will recover on their own. So they don't really need any help from us, uh, us being the medical system. They can just take care of themselves and they'll get better. But then there's that 20% uh, that need help. And that's the group that we're really worried about. And who are those people? Well, by and large, 
those are people who are above the age of 60 or have some type of, of medical problem. And that medical problem can be that they're a smoker or they have lung disease or hypertension, diabetes, or maybe there's something wrong with their immune system or they have HIV. And for that group of individuals, then they need some help. And that's the group that we're really worried about uh, because that group can get so sick that they need an intensive care unit or they can even die. Okay. And so let's, let's talk about that population. So say a person with this age, and say we'll take a 60-year-old smoking hypertension person with asthma, and they contract the virus. What, what does it look like once they contract the virus? And then what are we afraid of happening for them in their respiratory system? Yeah. So it looks like the flu. In fact, we can't really look at a person and say, oh, that person has disease, COVID-19, and that person has the flu. And of course, there are other things that look a bit like the flu. There are other viruses that can do that. So we really need a test to be able to separate people. And, and that's one of our problems is that we haven't had access to that test uh, on the level that we need. And then what happens to the people who get really sick from it is it doesn't just stay in their upper respiratory tract. It actually goes down into the lower respiratory tract, so down into their lungs. And when it gets down into their lungs, it causes lungs to fill up with fluid. And that's because of swelling and inflammation. And, you know, for a certain percentage of people who have influenza, well, that's what happens to them. But right now, it looks like anywhere between 10 to 30 times more people who get the coronavirus are going to get that lower respiratory disease and go on to need the help of the medical system uh, to get better and survive. Um, Dr. Josh, let me ask you a question about that, too. So the people that are, that are passing away from this, what does that population look like? Is it, it, or, or is it a group of people that, hey, had you came to the hospital earlier, we may have been able to prevent this? Or is the country as well as the world seeing a population that doesn't have great access to health care? Or, like, the people that are dying, who are they? Well, the people who are dying are dying because, in part, uh, we don't have treatment for this that we can direct at the virus. So we have to give them supportive care. And, you know, we can argue one way or another about how equivalent the healthcare system is in some of these countries. But, you know, the Italian healthcare system is pretty similar to our own in terms of mm. its ability to be able to take care of people with complex disease. And what we're learning from there is that uh, people above the age of 60, about uh, 1.5 uh, to 2% of them who get this will die from it. Uh, and we know that people above, uh, actually it's a little bit higher than that for people above 60, it's, it's closer to about 3.5%. For people who are above the age of 70, it's between 5 and 8%. And for people who are above the age of 80, it's looking like it's as high as 15% will die mm -hmm. from this infection, despite what we have around us to try and, and take care of them. Uh, so, of course, we have an amazing medical system. Uh, and so what we're really worried about is overwhelming it. And this is why there's so much energy being put into trying to what we're calling lower the curve, 
we're trying to reduce the number of people who have this at any one time. And that's where a lot of our energy is going. And that's why we talk about social distancing and ways to prevent the spread. Okay. And seeing that this, I'll be honest here, when it when you first started hearing about it, I was like, all right, all right, all right. We'll see. It won't get here. We'll, we'll see. And now we are, I don't even know the exact time frame of how far we are away from China. Where, what do we know about where China is now and what can we expect here? So we're about a month to six weeks behind China. We're about two weeks behind Italy. So what we expect is that there are people out in the community right now who have COVID-19, and they've been spreading it. Uh, They didn't do it on purpose. They weren't trying to, but they have. And so there are all these people out there who right now have it, and over the next two, three weeks, they are going to spread it some, but they're going to get sick as well. And so we're going to see this very rapid rise that's going to happen. So our efforts right now are to try and prevent further spread. And and that's why it's going to take a few weeks for the impact of what we're doing to be felt, because it's already out there. It's kind of like, you know, losing weight. You've already got the weight on. So you're going to do things now that are going to hopefully translate into losing weight in a few weeks, but you can't lose the weight instantly. So we can't stop the spread instantly, but we can do things now to slow down the rate at which it's spreading and have the capacity to then deal with the people who have the infection right now. In terms of like get sick. Yeah, and last question on that part is so we look at we look at China and you said we're between four and six weeks removed from uh, the beginning of that. Have they slowed it down there? And I'm trying to, I'm looking for the optimism here that, hey, if, if we too do what we're doing, we just get through this, you know, number of weeks or even a month, month and a half. Also, we too will have, we will slow down the progression and start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you asked that. Definitely, they have slowed down the spread dramatically in China. Now, they took truly draconian efforts to do that. They worked with amazing steps to isolate people, quarantine people, and more than what we probably need to do in this country, we can look more to what's been going on in in Singapore and Korea and some of those countries where they got ahead of the curve by doing the kinds of things that we're doing right now. And that's the social isolation, which is trying to get people to stay home, work from home, so that way they don't have to travel that if they do get together with others, it's in small groups. That's why all these large gatherings of people have been canceled, because we're trying to limit the number of people that any single individual comes into contact with. And that's why we're saying people should stand or sit at least three to six feet apart, that they shouldn't hug and kiss, they shouldn't handshake, because those are ways in which things get spread from person to person. So, you know, fist bumps or maybe elbow bump, although the problem with an elbow bump is it gets people too close to each other. So better to do a fist bump or, or wave. Then, you know, we want to reduce the number of trips that people are taking. So we just want people to 
reduce the amount of interaction they're having. Uh, and that's a major way in which we can reduce spread. Because right now, if we don't do anything, each person who gets COVID-19 will spread the disease to somewhere around two and a half to three people. Okay. What we're trying to do through this social distancing is reduce the number of people they spread it to down to less than one. And that's how you contain an outbreak. That's how you reduce contagion. So that way it's not spreading around. And then, of course, the other thing is personal hygiene. Wash your hands with soap and water for 20 seconds. You know how long it takes to sing happy birthday twice. Or or use gels, but they got to be at least 60% alcohol, which are the ones that you buy in the stores. But the problem is, is that you're having trouble buying them in the stores. Yeah. But you make your own. How's that? You make your own by oh. buying rubbing alcohol. So that's isopropyl alcohol. And you mix it two-thirds to one-third. And the other one-third, the best thing is aloe vera gel because that adds a little bit of thickness to it. Uh, and allows you to also soothe your hands because, you know, 100% alcohol is pretty rough on your skin. And then coughing into your elbows rather than your hands or coughing into tissues and then you throw them away. And then for those of us who do by accident end up getting it on our, on our hands from someone else, then we want to reduce the movement to our eyes. So, you know, we want to reduce the movement to our eyes, nose, and mouth. And then in our own households, and in, uh, if we go to the store, you know, clean the cart. So just bring a wipe with you and wipe off the handle of the cart. So that way there's less likelihood that you're going to get it on your hands. And then before you go to your eyes, nose, or mouth, mm-hmm. well, then, again, use those gels, those 60% alcohol gels, to uh, clean your hands. So that way there's less risk of spreading this from surfaces or other people to yourself. All right. And last thing, Dr. Johnson, can you tell us, uh, we got like less than a minute. How do yeah. we talk, if you had a message for us to tell our kids out there, because I, I know that, yeah. you know, today there was saying that the, one of the first kids was tested positive for this, or, mm-hmm. and we hear a lot about the adults that are there getting it. How do we talk to our children and what's the message you want to, that you would relay to the, our kids out there? Well, I think it's to give them honesty and to give them a chance to talk about this because they're scared because uh, they're hearing about it. You can't shield them from this information. So you have to let them talk about it. You know, your, your uh, uh, other uh, speakers today talked about how important it is to use communication to reduce anxiety. And that's part of what you're trying to do. And then you want them to know that you're going to take care of them and you're going to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Because they're not just worried about themselves. They're worried about you as your parent, as the parent. So let them know that grown-ups are working on it, that this is serious but manageable. Uh, and also let them know how they can help. Tell them they're part of this too, mm-hmm. that they can wash their hands before they eat, be when they come back into the house that they've been out to wash their hands, and that they can sneeze into their arms or use Kleenex so that, that way they're protecting others. You know, we really are trying to protect our grandparents, mm-hmm. our parents, uh, and so let them know that that's who they're trying to protect. That'll help motivate them, and by giving them a chance to talk about it, it'll make it less scary for them because they can watch you as the parent 
and see how calm you're being and how you're doing things to protect others. All right. Thank you so much. We know that life can be unpredictable. And our initial guests, Dr. Toon, Jasmika Cook, Aya Cook, and Arthi, gave us some helpful ways to deal with life challenges. Dr. Johnson has given us some good, really solid facts that we're facing about this virus and action that we can perform that will mitigate the risk and protect our loved ones. I think we can do that. And there's a saying by Goth that in the moment of commitment, the universe rises to support us. Thank you so much for listening. I want to thank our executive producer, Susan Peters. I also want to thank our, the man behind the glass, our executive technician, Titus. But most importantly, thank you so much, our listeners. And uh, we'll be back and we'll do this again. Take care, everybody. The Community Health Focus Hour is brought to you by the Urban Health Initiative of the University of Chicago Medicine.